Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Monax. I am joined, as always, by my terrific co-host and my associate editor over at grizzlybearblues.com, Mr. Parker Fleming. How are you doing, Parker, this, uh, this wonderful day as we record on a Thursday between NBA Finals games? I got to tell you, Parker, I got some sweet satisfaction. Well, you and I were recording Locked on Grizzlies with Sean Coleman, uh, who obviously still works for us at GBB or with us at GBB. Uh, but he has taken over Locked On Grizzlies. The GBB branches keep branching out from our, our roots here. And, you know, the first half of the finals game was going on. And I check on Twitter and I see all my notifications blowing up because Jay Crowder had a good first quarter. And then all of a sudden they fell silent, Parker. It was super weird. What happened? It's almost um, like how your theory came true. Jay Crowder <laughs> became a not so good basketball player. I think that's the best way to sum it up. But um, I think it's just a lesson out there for all you uh, aspiring basketball minds and maybe the young kids listening to this podcast. If you're a young person listening to this podcast, that's cool, I guess. Um, (laughs) But don't be too hasty with your takes because you could be wrong in an instant. And Jay Crowder is a player that you can never have a hasty take on. Apparently, unless he's a, it's him as a Memphis Grizzly for some reason. Um, well, it, it is what it is, and and I'm sure we're going to get into that very uh, debate here and conversation with our one of our guests here in the first segment of GBB Live this time around. Ways to get in touch with the show: you can follow GBB Live on Twitter at GBB Live. You can follow my associate editor and co-host, Mr. Parker Fleming, at Paca underscore Flaca. You can follow the blog that we're both so fortunate to work with. Uh, him as the associate editor, me as the site manager at SBN Grizzlies. And you can follow me personally on Twitter if you'd like, at Joe Mullinax. And the gentleman that we're going to bring on in our first segment of this episode of GBB Live, he's a friend of GBB. He's a former GBB beer. He's a, he's a GBB beer for life is what he is. And he has an amazing Patreon page. If you haven't subscribed to it, you most certainly need to. Uh, he did a phenomenal job in an article about the gentleman that we were just referencing and obviously some other folks that were involved in that trade several months ago. Now, Mr. Matt Hardlicker rejoins GBB live. Matt, how are you doing, sir? Is this an anti Jay Crowder podcast? I am. I am very anti Jay Crowder. And let me explain why, Matt. Okay. Very because anti. Okay. I'm, I'm Because here's the deal. All right. I feel like some fans, not all, it's probably even a minority of Grizzlies fans. And Parker can probably attest to this too, because he's a little more active on Grizzlies Twitter than I am nowadays. But I feel like it's a, it's a very vocal minority of Grizzlies fans who love Jay Crowder as a Memphis Grizzly. And I don't understand it. It, it makes no sense. It feels like they're giving him the Zach Randolph treatment almost to an extent on a smaller scale. But it feels like they see him as some great asset that the team had and lost for nothing when he gotcha. was, at best, a chucking three-point shooter, who I guess you had to defend because he was going to actually shoot the ball, unlike a Kyle Anderson. But at the same time, he wasn't that good for the Grizzlies. He wasn't that good. And that kind of leads me into your article. And again, you did a tremendous job with it. I think you made a, as fair of an argument for and against the trade as anything that I've read. Um, so maybe if you don't want to give too much away, because obviously we want folks to subscribe to your Patreon, Matt, uh, what's the general gist of what you wrote about kind of revisiting that deal 
and looking at, because obviously Jay Crowder, Andre Iguodala, Solomon Hill, they're all playing in the NBA Finals right now. Uh, the Memphis Grizzlies, essentially at the end of it all, got Gorgie Dang, uh, the, uh, eating a year of Dion Waiters' contract, who, by the way, is also in the NBA Finals with the Lakers, and the, the prized possession, Justice Winslow, who at best, if you're being optimistic, uh, gets banged up from now every now and again. So how did you, again, in simplified terms, so folks go read the post, what is your perception on that deal uh, here as the finals are going on with now four former Grizzlies, actually five counting Dwight Howard, I guess, but there's so many former Grizzlies uh, that are involved in the NBA finals that also were traded away from the Memphis Grizzlies or waived by the Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah. 2020 is wild. It's a weird year. Uh, yeah. It's a weird year. Um, yeah. So the, the deal, y- you can make it simple or complex. I mean, you can almost, you can almost have any kind of opinion you want on it. You can say, Oh, well, Memphis got screwed. They shouldn't have made the deal because Jake, J- Justice Winslow got hurt. You know, they gave up three guys who are, all playing in the finals, um, you know, they got no, no draft picks out of it. Or you could say, well, Justice Winslow, you know, we, they just got unlucky. He should have played. He should have been healthy. Like, you know, he's a perfect player for them, which I actually, you know, setting aside, I don't think we should get too deep in the weeds on the type of player Justice Winslow is. I consider him to be like a, a very good, perfect fit when healthy. Um, if you disagree, that's, that's fine. We don't, we don't have to go too far into depth of that. Um, but clearly the Grizzlies thought this is the player, you know, they targeted him. They gave up a lot of value, um, in terms of cap space for him. Um, and I, I tend to agree with, with that, their assessment, um, of it. So from that, from that respect, it's a very simple deal. They just took on a bunch of bad contracts and gave back expiring veterans who were, you know, I'm, I'm no, I don't think Jay Crowder is very bad like you, but as, I mean, I don't think he's great either. I do think he was unique on the Grizzlies, which was a very young team. Um, you know, he was one of the few veterans that could realistically play in the playoffs. Like, I think Jonas is probably a better player overall, but I don't think he's scalable the way Jay Crowder is. Um, I think Jonas is is fairly limited in terms of like being a passer if you double him he's he's he can make some passes but he's going to turn the ball over kind of throw up a a shot that isn't a high value shot um he's tough on defense um tough i mean i mean in terms of like he's not going to do much on defense against a high level offense you know you put him in pick a roll he's kind of too slow um whereas jay crowder could do enough um you know, if his shot is going in, especially, which it did up until, um, I mean, in the Celtics series, it didn't go in that much. But he is a scalable player in the sense that he'll play defense. He knows when to pass. He'll shoot if he's open. Defenses respect him. Um, and when he's surrounded by a ton of better players, he won't necessarily overshoot the ball. Um, and then he just he just kind of has that, what I call the institutional, knows how to play basketball Stuff, which when you have a ton of younger players on your team is valuable. Um, but even so, I was totally fine with them. I mean, you know, he, he losing him hurt the Grizzlies this year, but it didn't, like, I didn't care about that. This is all about the long term, and the Grizzlies made a long-term deal. And if you are somebody who thinks of the th- things 
you know, future value is greater for you than present value for this team, then you probably like the deal too. So, um, you know, you asked for a short one and that was kind of a little bit longer, but um, does that, does that sort of make, make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And for the record, I loved the trade. I think Justice Winslow is a perfect fit, just like you do. Well, we talked about Lockdown Grizzlies, and Parker and I were both on that uh, show last night with Sean Coleman. And we talked about, you know, the, what this Grizzlies team needs, especially in backcourt players, you know, guards and wings. I talked about how a healthy Justice Winslow is really what they need because he can be that secondary creator. He can be that facilitator on the wing. He can defend multiple yeah. positions. He really checks a lot of boxes for them. And I, I never really had an issue with what they gave up because Jay Crowder was shooting 29% from three. Solomon Hill was only yeah. on the Grizzlies because he wasn't Miles Plumley, And the, uh, and Andre Iguodala never wanted to be with the team in the first place. So mm-hmm. I never valued 2020 free agency, Matt. And that maybe is the, the place that we're going into mm-hmm. with this. Uh, and that was one of your hesitations with the trade is I believe even in your post, you talked about like a Fred Van Vliet or a Malik Beasley. Obviously, you had more potential to add those guys if you didn't do this deal as a po- uh, compared to, you know, Justice Winslow essentially becomes your 2020 free agent acquisition. Uh, I don't necessarily want Fred Van Vliet. I don't want Malik Beasley. I don't know, you know, maybe a Joe Harris would be a good fit. But beyond that, nobody in this free agency class to me is as good of a fit. There might be better basketball players. Now, obviously, Anthony Davis would be the prize piece, but he's going to stay in L.A. You know, there's yeah. an Evan Fournier that might be available, those types of guys. But in terms of realistic acquisition, I don't know that there's any free agent that would be better than a healthy Justice Winslow that they got via trade. And I think that what you were saying earlier is true in that they, they see him in that way and they probably view him as that acquisition and saying, yes, we lose. You know, obviously they flip James Johnson, who was the original piece from the Miami Heat. They lose him and take on Gorgie Dang, who's the highest paid player on the Grizzlies, hilariously. Um, somebody on Twitter the other day said you can't you know, be a good basketball team if your highest paid player is uh, – shoot, who was it? It might have been Gordon Hayward. It might have been the Gordon Hayward argument. And I said, but you can be if Gorgie Dang is your highest paid player? Like I don't understand that logic <laughs> at all. Um, but it really is something where I, they see Justice Winslow as that guy for this class. And if it doesn't work out – Obviously, Yang's contract expires in 2021. The cap hit from Dion Waiters is gone in 2021. And in theory, if the Justice Winslow experiment flails and falls apart, I'm pretty sure that's a fully team or excuse me, a non-guaranteed team option in the summer of 2021. So Memphis could be completely clear of it. And what did they lose? A chance to win a couple more games and and maybe be in the eighth seed in the playoffs. And I I think that the pandemic and the world catching on fire kind of makes it look a little bit better. I think that's fair to say, because obviously, you know, sitting there with the play in and not actually making the playoffs, but having that little bit of experience is better than nothing. But in Mm -hmm. the long run, I think we can all agree. And Parker, we'll bring you back in here in a minute. I just want to get Matt's take. I think we can all agree that if the season probably went 82 games without Jake Crowder, without Solomon Hill, you know, obviously justice Winslow was slated to make his debut in that Portland game that was suspended. But at the same time, he probably wasn't going to be fully healthy. They weren't going to fully utilize him like they planned on doing in the bubble. Uh, the Grizzlies probably fall out of the playoffs anyway after that trade. So it's definitely more of a long-term move. And that didn't bother me at all, Matt, because the, the fact that the Grizzlies were any good this year at all was a, a added benefit. It wasn't expected. 
Yeah, I, um, I I pretty much agree with with all of what you said. I mean, the the bottom line is this summer they weren't going to sign a free agent that really moved the needle on the team. I think everybody mostly agrees with that. Whether what, whatever you think of moves the needle, like maybe they get a guy who solidifies their their lineup a little bit, doesn't turn them into a surefire playoff team. I don't think there's anybody out there that would necessarily do that i agree completely there's nobody that turns that that needle up and we've talked about before you know parker the idea that this is a team that in theory could be better next year than they were this year and still not make the playoffs because the golden state warriors are rising the new orleans pelicans in theory will be back in that hunt uh the phoenix suns were undefeated in the bubble i think one of the fascinating things long term is going to be just how much the bubble meant right because there's there's going to be a prevailing thought going into next season that the Phoenix Suns are going to be the sexy team to make the playoffs in the Western Conference. But if things go back to normal, whatever the hell normal looks like six months from now, and they actually try to play basketball games in front of people again, maybe Phoenix takes a tumble. It might have been, you know, lightning in a bottle there in the bubble. So who knows what was real and what was it? I think it's safe to say that the Lakers are real. But the fact that the Heat make this run, do the Heat do this if they're not playing in the bubble? And and the season plays out the way it did, I think that's an interesting question to ask. But Parker, to me, you're looking towards the summer of 2021. And I give you credit because you've kind of sold me on this idea. You know, the access to a Duncan Robinson, an OG Ananobi. You know, there's going to be pieces that, especially with Toronto and Miami, reportedly in the hunt for a Giannis Antetokounmpo or another big name free agent that could be available, they're not going to be able to pay everybody. And if you throw enough money at a Duncan Robinson or an Ananobi, or you know any of these restricted free agents, there's going to be several of them in that class. You might be able to steal somebody away that if you buy into the idea that John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. are your superstar and star on the next great Grizzlies team, you're looking for elite role players anyway, similar to what the Miami Heat have next to Jimmy Butler. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I can go all day long about how much of a perfect fit I think that guys like Duncan Robinson or OG Ananobi or even a Josh Hart, too, I, I'll give you credit on that one, would be on this Grizzlies team and this iteration of the Grizzlies. And that's why I'm also fine with what might be a little bit of a lackluster offseason 2020, aside from really the D'Anthony Melton offer sheet, which I'm, I'm sure we're going to get to later in the show. But, yeah, as, we, as we've mentioned, like the, the money you took on – to get Justice Winslow and also Justice Winslow's contract, that kind of shored up a lot of your cap space. But also a thing that doesn't get talked about as an, an additional move that kind of counted as your 2020 free agent was the Dylan Brooks extension. And when you really think about it, we don't know what the cap's going to do because of COVID and the amount of revenue lost because you couldn't play all these games in front of fans. You couldn't generate all the revenue. So if the cap shrinks to what a significantly lower margin than we thought it would have been originally, you got two rotation level players. And by rotation level, I don't mean like a, a 10 or 11 man rotation. I mean, when the play, when you have a playoff situation where playoff rotations shrink to like seven or eight, you could play Dylan Brooks and you could play Justice Winslow. You can start one of, or even both of, Justice Winslow and Dylan Brooks and doing that in theoretically one off season, that sounds like a win to me. 
especially when you have the Gorgie Dan contract on the books. You have the dead money of Dion Waiters. Jonas Valanciunas is making about $14 million next season. And he also had like the mid-level salaries of guys like Tyus Jones and Kyle Anderson. I think it's a win. And another point, too, that when people say, oh, the Grizzlies lost this trade, most of the people that said the Grizzlies lost the trade thought that Jay Crowder and Solomon Hill weren't good basketball players. Were you expecting them to get anything better than Justice Winslow? Or even anything close to Justice Winslow? Joe, I think you can answer that one. Without giving up any extra draft capital, no. I think Justice Winslow, considering what Miami's trying to do, they want that cap space and they get it sooner rather than later. It gives them more flexibility considering their cap sheet's pretty maxed out right now. Uh, it, it made all the sense in the world to me. I, I think Justice Winslow is a great example, Parker, of probably exactly the best kind of player they could get. Oh yeah. I mean, no, let me I, jump I let me jump in real quick. I please think, go ahead. Matt. I think instead of instead of a player, we should maybe think about it in terms of draft picks. Like you guys would probably not quibble with the idea that Jay Crowder they could have gotten maybe two seconds out of Jay Crowder, right? Sure. Like no I think that's yeah. fair. So yeah. So let's just say he's worth two and then let's say Andre Godal is worth two. Would you rather have four second round picks or Justice Winslow? I would probably rather have Justice Winslow, even mm-hmm. though four second round picks, I mean, just like random second round picks. I'm not saying they're good or bad, just you know. Um, I would probably rather have Justice Winslow on his contract. When you start getting into okay, would all that be worth a first round pick? You know, I might rather still have Justice Winslow just because I would rather have the known of the perfect player fit, but then you throw on top of that, okay, well, you also have to take on all the bad money. And then also, you know, Justice has this injury history. And there is where, like, I would still do the deal, but it's really close for me. Like, I don't think it's a pure, hey, the Grizzlies won this deal. Like, I would have done it because I'm high on Justice Winslow and his contract mitigates a lot of the injury risk, but it is kind of like they put a one-year pause on the team building and they're like, Hey, Justice Winslow, that's our acquisition. We're going to, we're going to push pause until, you know, we're going to be out of the free agent game. We're going to be out of some of the trade game, some of the trade game, you know, we're, we have enough draft picks um, and we'll just see what the next off season brings with our limited tools. Um, I think that's a pretty close calculus. Like, I still come down on the side of Justice Winslow, but you have to stack all that stuff on top of each other. I'm a Justice Winslow fan, and I'm I'm definitely sure that when you look at Justice Winslow and you see the way that he plays the game when he's healthy, and I'm acknowledging that that's a big when healthy kind of thing, and I know that I have a history of being a fan of wings that aren't necessarily the, the healthiest. Um but it really is to me, like you said, would you rather have four second round picks or Justice Winslow? At some point, you have to play the odds, right? Like it was amazing. I think you shared the video, Matt, of when the Grizzlies almost got the number one pick, but they got number two in John Morant on your Twitter page <laughs> and how excited you were. I was the exact yeah, same way. There's just not video evidence. I was doing very similar things. Um, but my point is at some point you have to play the odds, right? And if you, you can't always bet that teams are going to let a player like Brandon Clark, who I think we all can probably agree is a top five player from that 2019 draft class, at least right now. And Mm -hmm. the fact he fell to 21, that's not going to happen every year. Yeah, You can't acquire all these picks and then just plan on moving up a couple of picks every year 
using those assets, you're not always going to hit, right? So you have yeah. that known quantity, like you just said, Matt, in Justice Winslow, you have an understanding of what he's capable of when healthy, and you mitigate that injury risk. I saw somebody say it's Chandler Parsons all over again. No, it's not. Chandler Parsons, you were locked into for four years, and you had to trade him for two bad contracts and Miles Plumley and Solomon Hill, which it, that was the deal when it happened. You know, it's nice that Solomon Hill, you know, resurrected his NBA career. But when that deal occurred, it essentially became Plumley versus Hill. Who's going to get waived? That that's the reality. So to me, the, it's it's no risk. You have Jay Crowder was probably the best current player because uh, Winslow was coming off of injury. Uh, Jay Crowder was the best current player. That's who you lost. And he probably wasn't going to be a part of the long-term plan anyway because he's a free agent this coming offseason. So uh, I'm, I'm totally fine with the decision to make the move that they did. And Grizzlies fans agree with that, at least the ones that participated in our GBB Live question of the day poll. The question today was, given the way the season has ended, Jay Crowder and Solomon Hill, I don't even include Iguodala because he never played uh, for Memphis in the finals, and Justice Winslow ending the season injured, who, in your opinion, won, in air quotes, the Miami-Memphis trade? Uh, was it Miami? Was it the Grizzlies? Or did both win? Um, compared to one another, more people, 25.9% of voters, said the Miami Heat won. 18.5% uh, said the Grizzlies won. But the overwhelming winner overall, more than both of those categories combined, was that both of them won. And I think that's the fairest way to put it, Matt. Memphis got what they wanted. And Miami got what they wanted. They got serviceable guys that were veterans that were going to fit into their culture, especially somebody like Jay Crowder. All you hear about on these broadcasts is heat culture. And what of what I know of Jay Crowder, that makes total sense. Like he lines up with what they're looking for. And that's part of why they are where they are and competing for a championship is because of what they've built there with Spolstra and obviously Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo kind of leading that charge now. But I think it's possible, and this trade is a good reminder, Matt, that there doesn't have to necessarily be a loser. And especially when it's balanced, like I agree with you. I think the Grizzlies, are, I would still do the trade, but it's not a slam dunk home run. Usually in those cases, Matt, that means that both teams got what they wanted. Yeah, the way I put it in my piece was, I think the Grizzlies got out negotiated, out leveraged. Like I think Miami achieved more of their goals in the trade than Memphis did. Um, and Memphis had to give up more of the quote unquote value. Um, I would still do the trade, but I think I think Memphis quote unquote lost the trade, but that's in like just a purely you have to, you know, pick a winner or a loser type thing. I agree with you. I think Memphis got what they wanted and I think the what they gave up, the twenty twenty cap space, clearly wasn't worth, quote unquote, what a lot of the national I mean the national media thought that the Grizzlies lost. And I thought yeah, that they, they crushed were being the trade. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, it, it it was a weird one. Trades like this don't happen very often. And, you know, like I think from the outside looking in, if you if you if you look at just how much cap space they gave up, you could say, "Oh, well, that will get you, you know, two starters." Well, maybe the Grizzlies don't want to go out and get two starters in, you know, next year. Uh that was kind of part of what I wrote. I mean, I just don't think that that was really part of the. I just don't think that they're at that point. I think they know that they're a little bit further away than that. Get you out of here on this, Matt. Again, we're talking with Matt Hardlicka. Make sure you're following him on Twitter. If you don't already, do so at the real H-R-D-L-I-C-K-A. Uh, those of you that have been following our blog and this podcast for a while, uh, I started this podcast back in 2014, over six and a half years ago now, which is crazy. 
Uh, but Matt's been a regular. Obviously, he used to write for us at GBB. He's one of the best Grizzlies writers out there. Uh, so make sure you're subscribing to his Patreon page and uh, make sure you're following him at the real HRD. L-I-C-K-A. Get you out of here on this, Matt. Uh, free agency primers. We're doing them all week in the next month or so over at GBB. Uh, I, I know one of your favorite things is hearing me talk about hashtag content. <laughs> we're coming up with ways to fill uh, the, the quotas that we're all responsible for as part of the SB Nation machine. Um, obviously, there's the Melton question that we're going to get in with Keith in the second segment. Uh, but I'm curious as to guys on the outside looking in, you know, the athletic and ESPN Parker did a great job kind of organizing it for us over at GPB, you know, names like, you know, Wes Matthews, Glenn Robinson, the uh, third, we talked mm-hmm. about Joe Harris, but he's probably outside of the price range. You know, it's going to be fringe guys for Memphis in this, uh, in this free agency cycle. Is there anybody in particular that you look at and say that guy would be a good addition because they're obviously going to be limited in what they do. They have the 40th overall pick in this draft. They have to do something with Melton. Uh, they have to decide if they're going to opt into Jonte Porter. Nate Chester wrote about him for us today over at GBB. So they have some m- minor decisions to make. The roster is pretty much set for this coming season. Are there any of those guys on the periphery that you are interested in seeing how it works out? Yeah, so I have a, I have a little bit of a hot take in that I don't think they bring in a free agent. Really? I think it's all – I think it's all – this is uh, – I shouldn't say I think. This is what I want them to do. I okay. want them to – I don't want them to spend on a free agent. The only guy – I do like Wes Matthews. Um, I think that he's going to have a choice between the minimum on a championship team or a little bit. I wanted them to get Wes Matthews last year. That was the guy, uh, and it got shot down by a, I'll say, prominent Memphis area <laughs> journalist DM me. Was like, <laughs> yeah he's not going to Memphis and I was like what if we pay him like eight times the you know what if we give him the full mid-level and he was like nah that guy's gonna chase a ring uh I love Wes Matthews I would definitely take him but I think they'd have to spend um like their full mid-level to get him or close to it um but the thing I would rather them do is I mean if you look at the roster it's pretty much full um and I don't necessarily want to take minutes away from Guys like Parker's favorite, Grayson Allen. I don't. I want to see what he what he can do. I want to see, you know. I mean, if they bring Melton back, I want to see more of Melton. I want to see a lot of the young guys. I don't necessarily want to bring the one guy I had thought of, and this got blown out of the water. But Goran Dragic at the full mid level would have been a really nice addition. But he tore his plantar fascia, so that's probably not going to happen. And it looks like Miami will probably just bring back all their guys. But Goran Dragic was the guy that I was kind of like looking at. Um, but I think like maybe they should try to take on some, a little bit of bad money um, here or there. One guy I thought of as a trade candidate, you know, because if, if Phoenix wants to clear out some cap space to chase uh, a guy like Fred Van Bleet, which you are not a fan of, but I think is pretty effing amazing. Oh, for the um, record, I, I think he's a good basketball player, but I don't necessarily yeah, need him on the Memphis Not Grizzlies. for Grizzlies, yeah. Right. Right, right. Um, but he would be a pretty great fit next to Devin Booker, and they would need to clear out a little bit of space for him. What about going after Virginia player Ty Jerome? I do enjoy saying, Ty Jerome. Hey, we'll take him for a second-round pick. We'll, we'll take him off your books. We'll take him off your hands. He didn't play for you at all. You got Javon Carter anyway. Um, just little trades like that. Try to bring in a, a couple of little pieces. Um, I'm not in on like Derek Jones Jr. 
you know, I'd, I don't want Derek Jones. I, w- I would have to look. I would have to look way further down to like find somebody, um, which I will do in a few months. But uh, as of now, I'm just going to say I'd rather them try to, you know, play the play the trade game, help some teams out, pick up a couple assets. Last thing, real quick. What is your drop dead? You will not pay Melton this amount per year in terms of because <laughs> this has become a question that I feel like I kind of started uh-huh. and I apologize to Grizzlies Twitter and everyone else. Um, but what, what is your drop dead number? You won't pass this. I really have to say, I think everybody is shooting too high on this. I do not think he's going to be offered over 10, $10 million a year. I, I think that that, I don't think that that's going to happen. Um, I would hold on to him for at least 11 million a year for like three years, three years, 33. But I would do that only to try to like, like if Atlanta went and offered him, like that was the team that was like rumored or something. I don't even know how the rumor got started a long time ago. Like he's not a great fit for Atlanta. Like he, they need a true backup point guard and Melton is not that. Right. Um, he would look good next to Trey, but like if they offered him that, I would, make all the noises about matching just like they did with DeLon Wright last year. And I would try to get something out of them um, because Melton at 11 million is not a good, not a good value. I, I per, for the record, I don't think he gets mid-level money. That's what I'm going to say. So, Bobby Marks agrees anything with you, below the Anything below the mid-level I think is totally fine, especially if you can set the terms. I don't think it'll be an issue. I think, I think the Grizzlies will announce something. They'll want to like control how the contract descends. And I think they'll probably like just take care of him. So. Well, and especially if they offer him like $8 million and like you said, it descends from that eight, you know, Melton like might appreciate the steady role and uh, a hefty pay raise anyway. So I think you're onto something there, Matt. Thank you so much as always, buddy. I appreciate you coming on with us, talking with us here and uh, we'll definitely have you back on down the road. All right. Y'all be good. When we come back, Keith Parrish of Fast Break Breakfast will join us. You're listening to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinax. I'm joined by my co-host and associate editor over at Grizzly Bear Blues, Mr. Parker Fleming. And Parker, we had Matt Hardlicka on in the first segment. Again, he has an amazing Patreon page, uh, wrote about Justice Winslow and that trade with Miami. If you don't subscribe to it, you're missing out. You're not as informed about the Grizzlies as you could be, and you need to rectify that as soon as possible. Follow him on Twitter at the real H-R-D-L-I-C-K-A. He made some interesting points, Parker, and I'm really curious just to kind of wrap that up with a bow before we bring in our next guest. The, the idea of uh, Jay Crowder, Solomon Hill to a lesser extent, watching them succeed with the Miami Heat, does that really like make you yearn for them as a Grizzlies fan? Or are you just like, oh, that's cool that they're having success? Because for me, they weren't here long enough to make that bond. Obviously, other people don't have that problem. But for me, it's like, oh, it's cool. I'm, gl- I'm happy for them. I don't think they're bad people. I think they helped Memphis while they were here. But at the same time, it's not like Marcus All winning a championship in Toronto by any stretch of the imagination. I think it, I mean, it's a little different for me, I guess, because. I've actually been in the locker room and I've talked to these guys and I've talked to them about being leaders for these young guys. I mean, when I stepped in that locker room, I wouldn't compare it to like a Zebo or Tony Allen by any means, but there is just little like energy in the locker room where you just kind of know that it was Jay Crowder's locker room as far as 
he was the one that kind of controlled things and um, really just kept everybody in line. And obviously it benefited because they didn't miss a beat really when they traded him. And I mean, I don't really tie the success to Miami to Jay Crowder and Solomon Hill. I mean, quite frankly, before the season started, I said Miami was the third best team in the East. And I think obviously Jimmy Butler, he's a top 10, 15 player, but Goran Jogic just raised his level of play. Bam did a great job of shutting down Jonathan and Kupo, and they also got a little help with him when he got injured. I mean, you have Tyler Hero exploding into this microwave score off the bench with upside of being a star. You have Duncan Robinson. And I, I just think there's a little more to it than the Justice Winslow trade. Granted, Jay Crowder had a good series or two, but it's not like he's the one – this that move wasn't the needle pusher for them being a title contender. They were good this entire time, and just nobody wanted to talk about it. Yeah, I'll I'll agree with you on that. You know, and I, oh, anybody and, that go ahead. And they have Eric Spolstra, who's a top five coach, seventeen years. You know, Heat culture. Him and Udonis Haslam. I would say Udonis Haslam has more to do with the Heat being where they are than Jay Crowder and Solomon Hill. Maybe that's disrespectful. We can ask that question to our guest at this time. Uh, Mr. Keith Parrish does an amazing job with the Fast Break Breakfast podcast, one of the best podcasts out there. Uh, he has a Grizzly-specific podcast now called Grits and Grinds. Follow at Twitter, on, on Twitter, excuse me, at Grits Grinds. Again, it's an awesome show. He does a fantastic job uh, talking about the Grizzlies over there. Really enjoy listening to it. He had a fantastic episode this past week talking about DeAnthony Melton, and that's what we're going to be focusing on here in this segment. But Keith, I want to get your take on that first. And, you know, I think it's probably well noted that maybe I hate on Jay Crowder a little too much. <laughs> but but when you watch Crowder and Hill, and obviously Iguodala is not part of that conversation, especially Crowder and Hill, you, you had John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. talking about those guys still in the bubble, even after you know, months of them being gone. You could tell they valued those guys, no matter what some blogger in Virginia thinks of them. Um, so when you watch them play in the finals, no matter how outmatched Miami is, especially if Dragic and Adebayo are out for extended periods of time, I know they're both doubtful as we record this podcast for game two. Uh, does it, like, do you feel bad for them? Are you happy that they made it to the finals? Um, how do you perceive that entire interaction and transaction now given the space that has occurred you know it happened over eight months ago almost now yeah loves a lot well first of all joe thanks for having me on thanks for the compliments a uh, good job pronouncing fast break breakfast and grits and grinds correctly a lot of people yes. stumble. a lot of people stumble over that uh what's the the question like do i feel a, a bond a kinship with jay crowder and solomon hill watching them in the finals or in the playoffs i mean not particularly they, they weren't on the Grizzlies very long. I mean, I know like you see John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. talking about him a lot, like how they, you know, obviously made a bond with Jay Crowder, but it's definitely, I don't know. I mean, he's like the 120th most impactful Grizzlies of the last 15 years. Like, I I, I don't know. I don't feel like, I, I feel no ill will towards them. I don't also feel like this super like happy bond, like, oh, good for Jay Crowder, good for Solomon Hill. I don't think they were here long enough for me, so. I guess I'm neutral on the subject. Yeah, and Joe alluded to your podcast earlier this week. A great podcast. I listened to it before the show started. You just want to tell the people what you really did a deep dive in on that podcast? 
Yeah, well, I read Joe's article where he drew a line in the sand of what he would pay to retain DeAnthony Melton. And my opinion it, on the podcast, I was just going into, I guess, all the reasons why I felt you shouldn't really draw a line in the sand. For where the Grizzlies are, I thought the Grizzlies should just pay whatever it takes to retain DeAnthony Melton. So on Grits and Grinds, I went kind of into that, why I thought it made sense for the Grizzlies to overpay, if necessary, to keep DeAnthony. Yeah, like you you did raise valid points. You know, he's, I mean, granted, he's not a floor spacer. And his performance in the bubble wasn't up to his standards. His, he averaged 4.2 points, 3.4 rebounds, 2.1 assists. And he had a true shooting percentage of 30%. Granted. <laughs> oh, yeah. man. <laughs> no, he was, well, so one of, yeah, one of my points, Parker, was he was like abysmal on the offensive end in the bubble. And still, when he was on the court, he was making positive contributions. And so my mm-hmm. take was, like, that was worst-case scenario. If you get an absolute zero or if you get a negative contribution on the offensive end, he's still showing his value in other areas. And it was reflected most of the time when he was on the court, the Grizzlies were still doing fine. Like, his net rating mm-hmm. in the bubble was fine. The lineups he was with, they, they did fine or they did well when he played. And so my argument for keeping DeAnthony Melton is, if he develops a shot, he becomes an unbelievably valuable player. If he never develops a shot, he's already currently a valuable player. He's already currently a rotation player. And if the Grizzlies don't overpay to keep him, if necessary, again, you might not have to overpay to keep him. You might just give him like a very reasonable five or $6 million a year or something. But I think he's a top eight player on the Grizzlies comfortably. And I think he could be next year as well. So I wouldn't let that guy walk out the door, especially knowing how young he is and he's 22. And if you let him walk out the door, you can't replace him. So since the Grizzlies aren't competing like for a title next year, I would say let's just keep a young guy who just turned 22 who can grow with this core. Let's add him to the core because I think, again, he's one of the – if I'm ranking assets of the Grizzlies, I'm putting him pretty close behind like the the main top three core. You know, John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., Brandon Clark. Obviously, that's the Grizzlies going forward. If I'm ranking the other pieces, I mean, I'm not excessively high on Justice Winslow or Dylan Brooks or Grayson Allen. Sorry, Parker. But like the uh, <laughs> like I'm putting D'Anthony Melton there where I'm saying this guy could develop into like a sixth, seventh man on a good playoff team. I'm not giving him away over a difference of a few million dollars. So you, Parker, just for the record, and because it's funny because Keith obviously wasn't able to hear the first segment. You've had both Matt Hardlicka and Keith shout out your love of Grayson <laughs> Allen. This is impressive. You should feel you've built a brand, Parker. I'm he has a brand. He I has a brand. Yeah. And um, he even threw shade at another player I'm really fond of, and that's Dylan Brooks. But I don't want to turn um, the GBB Live into first take with talking about Dylan Brooks and Grayson Allen. Well, but I'm I'm curious, just real quick, Parker. Sorry to interrupt. Because uh, that that's an interesting point. Because I've I've played with the idea, and I I've never done it, Keith, because I, I feel like it would just be too blatantly copying Bill Simmons. And I've learned that you don't really want to do that if you want to be a successful blogger. Uh, aside from his success, obviously he's one of the most successful. <laughs> he's like the most bloggers successful ever. blogger ever. But, but sure, but, okay. But but my point is, that he catches a bad rap nowadays yeah. for a variety of reasons. The way that he runs the Ringer Union, all that stuff. So anyway, he's polarizing. Maybe that's the better way to put there it. There we go. Uh, at this stage, yeah. um, you got to forgive me. I said the Brooklyn Nets aren't making the playoffs next year, so I'm on. I'm in a hot take roll right now. I, I'm in the zone when it comes to hot takes, but it, it's. 
it's a situation where if you look at the, he would do those, you know, the greatest assets, right? Value mm-hmm. rankings. Who's the most yeah. valuable guy? And those were always some of my favorite articles to read by him when he was a more regular writer, ESPN, and then even uh, with Grantland. And, you know, when you think about the Grizzlies in that way, obviously Jaws won, or at least I think Jaws won. I think there's an outside argument you can make for Jaron being one, but I- I'm not going to make it. I'm going to let Jaw be one. Uh, Jaron is two for sure at the worst. And then there's Brandon Clark, a pretty distant third behind those two. I'm curious because you mentioned that you're not sold on Dylan Brooks. You're not sold on Justice Winslow. Is DeAnthony Melton four for you, Keith? Well, I think you, for Dylan Brooks, he's less of a project. I feel like there's less of an upside. I feel like like we hope he plays better and he improves his game. But he's also going to be like fairly compensated now where he's making like that Terrence Ross bench player role or gunner off the bench. Unfortunately he starts, but like, you know, he's, he's no longer in my mind, like a project. If someone offered me something for Dylan Brooks, like I'm not trying to give him away because I value having a wing who can defend and shoot and create his own shot and is willing to create his own shot where a lot of these Grizzlies this season, like they were very hesitant to shoot. So like, I'm not giving him away by any stretch, but I, I'm still more tempted by the upside of D'Anthony Melton because if he develops a shot, then he becomes like a Marcus Smart type or at least a a very high pro or like um, highly interchangeable three and D player. We already know he's a good defensive player. We know he's a great rebounder as a guard. I think he fits well with this team because Jaron Jackson Jr. is not a particularly good rebounder and Brandon Clark wasn't even that strong. So like, I feel like he fits well with that front court of the future. And again, if he develops a three-point shot and looking at him shoot, his shooting motion seems natural, regular, repeatable. So I'm optimistic he can develop a three-point shot. And if he does, then he becomes a guy that every NBA team wants. And so again, he's 22. I'm not giving him away if I'm the Grizzlies over a, you know, if it's $6 million or even $11 million. I feel like because there are so many good contracts on the Grizzlies, there are no bad contracts if you don't count Deion Waiters uh, on the Grizzlies currently. And that allows them the freedom to overpay if necessary to keep what I consider like a young asset. I mean, I think he's a much better prospect than Grayson Allen. Uh, Justice Winslow is a little more interesting but like again, you're already paying for those guys, and you had the team option on Justice Winslow in a couple years. I again, like I guess if I'm ranking young guys who I think we don't know what they're going to become. Yeah, I, I would have Anthony Melton fourth uh, behind the big three. Yeah, um, I I honestly, pers- I'm not going to go too much into it. I have Tyus Jones fourth because I think if he has another season where he's shooting, has a stretch, a significant stretch where he's shooting like 44 percent from three while also being one of the best in terms of assist-to-turnover ratio while generating a high volume of assist, I think we've seen that these teams dominated by wings, like the Clippers and the Bucks, they need point guards. I think you can finesse a first-round pick or even from the Clippers, someone like Landry Shamit for uh, Tyus Jones. But that, that's a different uh, discussion. Well, P- Parker, what, I mean, we all acknowledge John Morant's the Grizzlies' best player what's your ideal playing time for like a Tyus Jones? Like he's going to cap out at 14 minutes a game. Probably. No, no, that, that's what I mean. As far as like a trade asset. Oh, like if we could trade him. Oh, yeah. sure. Yeah. Right. That might be true. That. Sure. Oh, I mean, if we're, if we're ranking things, I guess in the Bill Simmons style, like what could we trade someone for? Like, yeah, you could probably get someone 
maybe to give you a late first rounder for Jonas Valanciunas. I'm thinking of it more of like growing internally as the yeah. Grizzlies. If like if I'm looking at the players who I think still has big upside, like what I said on the Grits and Grinds episode was talking about how when I look towards the future of the Grizzlies, I don't like as much as like Tyus Jones was was a big part of the Grizzlies' success last year. I don't consider him to be that important because I want to build around Jaw and Jaron and Brandon Clark. And I want to look to players that fit around there. And I know if someone wants to offer me, even to Landry Shamit, who was kind of disappointing for the second half of the season, just some kind of shooter, I'm not saying, oh, we need to keep Tyus Jones. I'm saying, no, does Landry Shamit or whoever I get for Tyus Jones fit around Jaw, Jaron, and Brandon? And that should be my decision, like making, um, I guess, format that I'm going to go with. And that's another reason why I would keep D'Anthony Melton because we already know he's a guy who can play at the same time as Ja, Jaron, and Brandon. And that's another reason I wouldn't give him up again over like a whatever it is. Like I, like I talked about how I, the biggest contract I can imagine anyone giving him was $12 million a year. And I would say, yes, that's an overpay for the value he's currently providing and probably maybe for what he projects to provide. But if he does actually fulfill his potential, then it's worth having him around. And I don't think paying that, overpaying that, is going to hurt you in, in any um, significant way. Yeah, that that's true. I'm honestly, it's one of those things, the bubble kind of freaked me out a little bit for Melton because I kind of consider that. I don't want to consider the bubble to be to override what we know of pre-pandemic because Dancy Melton is a good basketball player and the bubble and actuality is a nine-game sample size. But I kind of see them as playoff-level games that hold some sort of meeting when it comes to paying somebody $10 million. And I, I've, I'm not a D'Anthony Melton hater by any means for wanting to friend of the show. I've compared him to like a middle-class Drew Holiday or even like an Avery Bradley. I've talked about that same shooting upside you've talked about. But are we getting... For $10 million, are we getting Avery Bradley or Marcus Smart, or are we getting a 6-2 Andre Roberson? I, I don't know. And that- a health, Well, healthy – that's funny. I mean, Andre Roberson makes $10 million a year. When healthy, when he was healthy, he's absolutely worth that money. Like, you're talking about backup money. Like, you don't yeah. pay your starters – starters generally – a good starter is going to make $15, $20 million a year. If you can get a guy, lock a guy up who you know is going to be in your top 80 year rotation for $10 million a season, that makes sense. That salary is not going to hold you down. And it's not like we're replacing him with anyone. Like you guys know, it's either we either keep DeAnthony Melton, if we let him walk, the Grizzlies don't have salary cap room. I mean, maybe I saw on, you know, there's a poll on the, the Grizzly Bear Blues. People wanted to bring back Anthony Tolliver. Okay, if you want to use a roster spot on Anthony Tolliver, a 35 year old journeyman, fine. I would rather use it on a young guy who we know fits with the core and has potential to get better. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on the Anthony Towers thing because that was my poll. I wrote about him for I think it was yesterday, and, and I was surprised by that, Keith. I I think I underestimate because obviously I've been away from Memphis, and I know you're still in Tennessee, but not in Memphis. Yeah. I've been away for a while now. Um, the, the idea of how much Grizzlies fans love the guys that play for the Grizzlies. <laughs> they really do. I, I, I underestimate that uh, a lot. I think it, um, I think if you phrase the question, the Grizzlies might have two open roster spots. Would you use one on Anthony Tolliver? Right. Like, that's a better way. Because like if, if Jonte Porter comes back, or if they keep whoever they draft, 
in the second round this year, if that person is going to come to join the team this season, well, then we're at 14 guaranteed contracts. So like, right. yeah, are you going to use that last roster spot on Anthony Tolliver? That would be a much different poll result. Yes. You know, in, in a ideal world with as many roster spots as, you know, um, if they weren't limited, sure. Anthony Tolliver can come back. Seems like a great guy. No, he, he is probably a great guy. And we're talking with Keith Parrish of Fast Break Breakfast and Grits and Grinds. Amazing podcast. One of the very best out there at podcasting, especially about these Grizzlies. Uh, make sure you're following him on Twitter if you don't already do so. At I, I will double check the, the Twitter handle for Fast Break because I mess that up every no, time. Fast there Break Break. Fast break there break. it is, at Fast Break Break. Uh, make sure you're following at Grits Grinds on Twitter as well for that uh, Grizzlies specific podcast. Fast Break Breakfast is a little more NBA overall, uh, but they're both fantastic and you should listen and subscribe and all the good things uh, should be coming those guys way. They do a great work. Um, You make an interesting point about Tyus Jones. And in the first segment, Matt uh, Hardlicka brought up a point that I, you know, I, I toy with in my mind writing about, and the same thing just happened with you. Uh, Tyus Jones went and, I'll be honest when I admit that this idea comes from me playing NBA 2K. And, um, but I think it's a, it lines up with the very logical thing that you just said about Tyus Jones. If you want John Morant to play 34 to 36 minutes a game, which I think is realistic moving forward, if he's your superstar, if he's your guy, you know, the 30 minutes kid gloves thing, that's going to come off at some point, And he's going to play 34 to 36 minutes. To me, when you're constructing this roster moving forward, it makes a hell of a lot more sense to have a point guard there who's either on a rookie-scale contract or is a veteran minimum guy that can kind of catch jaw when he falls, can be a mentor. I love Tyus, and I do think that his value shined through in the bubble more than just about everybody on the Grizzlies except, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr. No absence made the heart grow fonder for sure. But at the same time, as the roster progresses, and that could kind of tie into the summer of 2021 maybe, as things move on, Matt talked about little moves on the periphery with these second-round picks, like Ty Jerome in Phoenix, who's never going to play for the Phoenix Suns. Memphis clearly needs another guard, even if they keep Tyus Jones. You give a second-round pick in the future to the Phoenix Suns, they probably send you Ty Jerome. Can Ty Jerome run the point for 12 minutes for the Memphis Grizzlies on a nightly basis? Probably, especially if Justice Winslow is healthy. So what do you do with Tyus Jones? Is he a fringe starter for somebody like the Los Angeles Clippers? Could you get something like a Landry Shamit, like you mentioned earlier, in exchange? Uh, I, I do think that that is an interesting point, that Tyus Jones's future, I would definitely not say it's in question right now, because again, he just showed how valuable he is. But I think moving forward, that is a guy that if you want John Morant to play 34 to 36 minutes a game, I'm not sure that Jaw and Tyus together for extended periods is the best use of the roster, assuming that they want to compete in the next couple of years for the playoffs and beyond. That's almost too galaxy brain for me. Like I, I, <laughs> I like I like Tyus Jones. He's on he's on a fair contract. He's a young player. Right. Like it's not a weakness. If someone brings me a Godfather offer and says, "Hey, we will give you, you know, a, like a a decent first round pick or something," but I'm not looking to strip for parts, like a full process, you know, rebuild. Like I feel like the Grizzlies right now have a few years before Jaw and Jaron are going to be paid a lot, and I think they can be pretty good. Honestly, they don't have to go into like a full deep rebuild. We saw they almost made the playoffs this year. Um, it's going to be difficult next year, but I think they're going to be pretty good. And I'm. 
I'm in no rush to get rid of Tyus Jones. While I am focusing on team building, thinking who are the guys that fit around Jod, Jaron, and Brandon, and that's mainly all that matters. Like, I do like the fact that I have a, a stable, good backup point guard there. And again, he's not overpaid. If someone gets desperate and really needs a point guard, if it is like the Clippers or like even like, I don't know, the, the Hawks, but I think the Hawks aren't giving you anything you want. Like trading a second round pick for Ty Jerome does literally nothing for me in my mind. Like we don't need to develop another young point guard. Like that's what Ty Jerome is. So um, I'll have to listen to the hard liquor part of the, the show to, to, to know what he was going for. But I'm not... Like as far as tra- trading trading Tyus just because like he's superfluous, no, I don't think so. But I do think if you do get like a great offer or you can track down a wing, someone who fits perfectly, hopefully who's starter material, then yes, I would be willing to give up Tyus Jones in that situation because, like you said, you know he's limited in the amount he's going to play because we're all in on John Morant. For the record, I don't. I just want to make sure that I'm clear. I I don't necessarily want to get rid of Tyus Jones either. Yeah, I've said that a couple here. of times. I'm I'm more saying, and again, it's difference in perspective in terms of building the roster moving forward. Yeah, and I think that you make a fair point there. And and one of the fairest points that I've heard Parker make since I've worked with him, it's been a few years now that he's been with GDB, and and he's actually convinced me of this idea. And I think it's the biggest argument against overpaying Melton is the flexibility in 2021. Um, the, the idea that he has sold me on of, you know, say Miami wins the lottery and Giannis goes to the heat. Mm-hmm. They're probably not going to be able to pay Duncan Robinson. And, and you can throw a, a 15 or $16 million offer sheet at him. And all of a sudden you have an elite NBA three-point shooter that the Grizzlies haven't had since Mike Miller. You know, that, that level, that type of guy. Um, and, and I mean like young Mike Miller, not, you know, grit and grind run Mike Miller. Um <laughs> But on the on the flip side of that, if if he goes to Toronto, you know, there's rumors of that. You know, there's restricted free agents like OG Ananobi who are going to be coming up, and and you can get you can possibly because they can't pay everybody. I, I think that the concern with Melton, and I do agree with you that, and I wrote it in the piece that inspired this whole conversation. You don't let 22 year olds go that are good at basketball already. Walk right. for nothing. I, I agree with that completely. You're exactly right. And I wrote about sign and trades. And I think, you know, that's another avenue too, if it gets too crazy, like you mentioned with Atlanta. Um, I, I do understand the perspective on what Melton does. They have flexibility before they have to pay John Jaron. What do you, what, what is your concern if you have any uh, about that flexibility in 2021? Or do you see Melton as someone who, if he develops, I mean, obviously, Duncan Robinson's a liability. I know, sorry, Parker, but Duncan Robinson's a liability defensively most of the time. Um, you, you, these guys have flaws. There's a reason that these teams may not match. Do you see Melton, if he develops, as someone that's worthy of that level of money more so than someone like a Robinson or Ananobi in restricted free agency if Parker's theory holds, which I think could be the long-term plan, or at least it makes sense in my head? Well, getting a starter in restricted free agency is extremely rare. Like, basically, Kyle Anderson was one of the best, you know, and like Kyle Anderson's a barely a starter. Is someone like right. teams getting restricted free agency? Last year, Malcolm Brogdon was a restricted free agent, and weirdly, the Bucks just cheaped out and then made it a sign in trade. So, like, as far as not signing DeAnthony Melton now, 
for hoping in two years the Grizzlies can get a restricted free agent. Like, no, I, I don't. I don't think that makes a ton of sense, especially if like you can get rid of Kyle Anderson's contract if you really need to sign. If Duncan Robinson is theoretically available. Uh, in a couple years, and he hasn't posted a, a goose egg in every final game he played, and the blue yeah, hasn't was fully rough. come off <laughs> come off the rose. Like you can do it, but I don't think whatever you're going to pay D'Anthony Melton is going to restrict you from signing someone big. Like that is mainly going to be like, what do you do with Justice Winslow? What do you do with Jonas Valanciunas? Like if you if you find out you're in the running for a legitimately good free agent, which I think is questionable because the entire NBA, all the big markets are aiming for the free agency of 2021 to have cap space. So I would rather go ahead and keep a good young prospect and not worry about that as much. Cause I don't think that amount of money is going to hold you back. I think there's other avenues to be able to free up cash. If the Grizzlies decide again in two years, they need to sign someone. And like we, we talk about, I think this is like my own personal logic that kind of convinced me when I was thinking about like how much I would pay DeAnthony Melton. My thinking was like, we talk all the time about like, it's good for teams to maintain salary cap flexibility, you know, to maybe to bring in an asset. Everyone knows we got a first round pick for taking in Andre Iguodala's contract. And so we want to have that flexibility to be able to do things. We sacrificed a lot of that flexibility in the justice Winslow trade. We don't know how that's going to work out, but, when I think about using salary cap space to, to get an asset, I'm now turning that logic to DeAnthony Melton and saying, you know what else I can use my salary cap space for? Like actually using salary and keeping this one guy. And if people are like, I would definitely pay this guy $7 million or I would definitely pay him $9 million. My thinking, and maybe this logic is completely flawed, but my thinking is, well, if we would all agree, we'd pay him $7 million. I'd be happy to use another $5 million of my salary cap cap to bring in a player like him. Like if he wasn't on the team, I don't think we would bat our eyes at being like, oh, we can have this guy. We can use our cap space to keep this guy. Like I don't want to focus on the individual number. And I think we focus too much on individual numbers of players. Like, yes, $12 million is probably a a huge overpay for D'Anthony Melton, or at least if he doesn't get any better, if he doesn't get any better, it's an overpay, but I would also for what you think he's going to be. Right. And I think there's, there's a median outcome there. If you still think, I think right now, again, he could be a top eight team, a top eight rotation guy on, on a lot of NBA teams. And I think that's worth 10 or $12 million. And the idea of not having anything like literally nothing, because if he leaves, you can only basically sign minimum salary players. You can use your mid-level exception on somebody, but why not do both? Why not overpay Melton to keep him, to keep another piece of the young core who fits with your best players and then use your mid-level exception for something else? So like, I, I don't, I feel like letting him walk sets the Grizzlies back a little bit and I don't think it opens up enough space in a few years to be like, oh, well, we, we made a big offer sheet to OG Ananobi and the Raptors matched it. So that stinks. Well, here, here's a nice compromise we can make. Instead of trade or instead of letting Melton walk, or instead of trading away Kyle Anderson's expiring contract, the Grizzlies. This is going to pay me to say the Grizzlies can just sign Duncan Robinson to that offer sheet that Miami <laughs> won't match. You can keep Melton, and we'll shed salary if needed by trading Dylan Brooks. How about that, Keith? I know that'll make you happy. 
It makes me, I mean, again, I'm not looking to dump Dylan Brooks. I mean, you guys, I, I recommend everyone listening to a couple episodes ago. I did my, my favorite stats of the Grizzly season. Dylan had some doozies of, uh, <laughs> I think he's the uh, worst, worst field goal percentage, worst true shooting percentage of all players to average 14 shot attempts per game. He was last in the NBA of all players who I think attempted 15 clutch time shots in field goal percentage in the clutch time. Uh, we all know he led the NBA in fouls. I was kind of proud of that. But uh, no, he's he's not my favorite player, but he competes. He can shoot. He can create his own shot. I'm not looking to give him away, but I'm also, more importantly, not looking to give away a player I think impacts winning at a higher rate, and that's Melton. And I know the coaches and other players, another uh, analysts don't agree with me on that. But uh, I'll take the defender. I'll take the scrappy player, the guy who's getting all the loose balls um, over the shooter. I know you need a mix of both to win in the NBA, but my, my preference, and I'm very biased in that, is uh, give, me, give me the defenders. I think that for me, and uh, again, listening to your show sold me a little bit more. You know, I have my line in the sand of 9.25, and I agree with you. This is probably, as all things that I stir up in Grizzlies Twitter and bloggerdom and podcasts, this is probably all for nothing. And he'll probably get like six or seven million, and that'll be right. the end of it. Yeah. Um, I I do think that the person that both of them need to be really good at basketball is Justice Winslow, because yeah. if Justice Winslow can come out and not just be the facilitator that we hope he'll be and the defender that we hope he'll be, but if he can be the three point shooter that we all hope he can be. I think that allows for you, if you pay Melton, you know, let, let's say Melton makes a comparable contract to Dylan Brooks. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't think that's outside of the realm of possibility. There was a Dallas blog where the writer sourced and all like he'll make 10 million or so. Uh, we had another conversation with someone who uh, there was a scout. I forget the team off the top of my head, but he said 12 million wouldn't surprise him for the Anthony Melton. So let's say Melton gets 12 million, the same, essentially the same contract as Dylan Brooks. If Justice Winslow can be the shooter that we hope he is and the facilitator and the defender, essentially the best version of himself that he was at times with the Miami Heat, to me, I would start the Anthony Melton and I would move Dylan Brooks to the sixth man role. And now you have somebody, you mentioned Terrence Ross earlier, you have somebody who would thrive in that role. We've all talked about that, how Dylan Brooks, the best thing about Dylan is his confidence. Parker has talked about that a lot, whether he's shooting well, whether he's sucking, cause he definitely sucked at times. He's, he's the same guy. You know, he has that same demeanor. That is so much more valuable when you're the sixth man and you're the leader of a reserve unit where you're trying to put up baskets against other reserves. To me, the next great Grizzlies team almost needs Dylan Brooks to be that sixth man. So if justice Winslow can come in and be a, a better version of what Dylan Brooks is, that allows for a solid defender, a Marcus Smart-esque DeAnthony Melton to be the starter. And you've got a John ja Morant, DeAnthony Melton, Justice Winslow, Jaron Jackson Jr., Jonas Valanciunas starting five. I mean, there's not a ton of holes there, assuming that Winslow can be that perimeter shooter. And I know that's a lofty assumption, but the whole point of this thought, Keith, was you're hoping that Justice Winslow is that because, in theory, he could make life a lot easier for both of these guys and perhaps the money doesn't even become that much of a concern anyway because you've got that rotation set because Winslow is that important. 
Yeah. I mean, I like thinking about like, you know, Winslow at $13 million a year. And if he becomes that starter level player that he was in Miami, and then even if it, if, if Melton gets 12 million per year, the Grizzlies salary cap sheet is so beautiful. Like it's so well maintained where the next couple years you'd have Ja and Jaron and Brandon and Justice Winslow and Melton and Dylan Brooks and even like Valanchunas and Tyus Jones. That's like $80 million for is that nine players? One, two, three, four, five, six, four. I think for eight players, like that's that's perfect. Like you have space to do other stuff with it. You have space, honestly, to make mistakes. You have space to hopefully trade for someone. If you want to use a first round draft pick that you have in the excess of to bring someone else in, like there's room with that. So like again, that's another reason I'm not too worked up about it. As far as like justice starting, yeah, that I think it would work great. I, I've come to the conclusion that if Valanchunas is still the starting center, I don't think you could get away with starting Winslow and Melton. I know Winslow has some good catch and shoot three point numbers in his career, but I still don't think that would be enough spacing. Um, but it almost makes me think like you could move Valanchunas then to a bench role. Uh, you could maybe have Brooks and, and Valanchunas coming off the bench, very solid, strong, you know, like Valanchunas is a proven NBA starter. Brooks is like a near NBA starter um, and maybe a starting lineup if Jaron and Brandon take another step forward, get a little stronger, get a little bigger, um, tougher, where then you could have a John Morant, like John Morant, Melton, Winslow, Brandon Clark, Jaron Jackson Jr. starting lineup, assuming those young guys all get a little bit better. That's that's when I go to sleep smiling. Like that's the that's the the Grizzlies I'm dreaming about. Like if all those guys are good and that lineup is like a super fun, versatile, can do a lot of stuff. Uh, and then you bring in Jonas off the bench to smash some second units. That's I can get excited about that. Uh, Jonas and Dylan Brooks on the bench would be pretty awesome. That that would be pretty fun to see. The only thing that concerns me about that is Brandon Clark's been so bad as a starter, and, and it's a really yeah. small. A yeah. really small sample size. And like, and you alluded to it, you would hope that he gets better. I think that's fair to, uh, to hope for. Um, but, you know, Winslow is such a key factor to all of this. And it's, mm-hmm. it's fascinating to me to see how it's going to play out. Uh, Keith, we'll get you out of here on this. I- I'm curious, when you look at the team heading into 2020, uh, we talked about in the first segment how the roster is essentially set. Mm-hmm. Are you concerned about... Because you know there's going to be rumblings if the team isn't in the playoff hunt. Again, the Warriors will be back. We've talked about how it, it's very likely that the team could be better next year and still miss the playoffs. Uh, what Again, there's a long ways to go. We have a long offseason here. But sitting here today, the first day of October as we record this podcast, if the Memphis Grizzlies are, you know, the record is better by a couple of games, but they miss the playoffs, they're clearly a better team, but they're in the lottery. Will you be disappointed with that or will you still be uh, happy with the, the way things are progressing? Because, you know, there's kind of a long term plan in place. Like you said, the cap space, the way the contracts are structured. I think that there's going to be a large segment of this fan base that's going to be disappointed if the team is not doing better uh, than they should be doing in their eyes in terms of they should be progressing to the playoffs next. A step back isn't necessarily a step back to me. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, we. I think we just want to see the Grizzlies, the young guys, continue to get better. I think 
you know, looking ahead, far ahead to next season, whenever that is going to be, it's going to be all about health and what is the development of the young guys. Like if Justice Winslow's healthy, if Jaron Jackson Jr. can make it through the whole season uh, in good health, like those are the priorities. Does John Morant continue on this ascension? It looks like he's starting. Like, has he become uh, an all-star? Like those will be interesting things. Yeah, I mean, right now, not even knowing what, player transactions are going to take place in the offseason you know you'd project them maybe like 10th 11th they're going to be in this big i don't know morass of teams who are all kind of hoping to win um you know to make it into the playoffs but i'm guessing like their over-unders are all going to be like 37 and and so yeah i think the grizzlies are probably going to be the outside if jaron jackson jr and john morant are like the young good players we think they are maybe they they outperform those expectations. But no, I mean, I'm not going to get disappointed if they miss the playoffs as long as we still see that, like, they're all getting better and, like, we haven't had any other catastrophic injuries or catastrophic trades where, you know, we propel another team to the finals and end up with a bunch of dead salary. We have a long journey ahead of us, but at least we get to go through it together, right, Keith? I appreciate <laughs> sure. I, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your efforts as always. Keep up the good work over with Fast Break Breakfast and Grits and Grinds, and uh, we'll have you back on down the road. I appreciate it, Joe. Thanks, Parker. All right, ladies and gentlemen, for Parker Fleming, my wonderful co-host, great associate editor over at GBB, for Matt Hardlicka from the first segment, for Keith Parrish here, closing out the show, I am GBB site manager Joe Molinax. Grind forth, Grizz Nation. Enjoy the rest of your weekend and all the great shows, starting 5, 3, and D, Core 4, lots of great stuff continuing on over at grizzlybearblues.com and as part of our podcast network. So for Keith, for Matt, for Parker, I'm Joe. Have a great one, folks. This is Grizzly Bear Blues Live.